You're listening to episode 110 of the Rebel Buddhist Podcast, where we talk about the simple miracle of being alive and living full out. Welcome to the Rebel Buddhist Podcast, where we explore how to use the science of psychology, Eastern spiritual practices like mindfulness and compassion, and the game-changing work of self-coaching so you can free your mind and free your life. I'm your host, Anna Verzoni. Hey, hey, Rebel Ones. I'm preparing this on summer solstice and admit I'm super sleep deprived. I went from my silent retreat at Spirit Rock, where I was going to bed by 9 p.m. and waking up at 5 a.m., to arriving back in Alaska with the sun blazing. <laughs> at night and staying up until 1 a.m. and waking up at 6 a.m. or earlier. So it's been quite a transition, but I'm stoked and I'll be resting up because in two days, I'll be leading the annual Freedom School Retreat. Actually, just one day, technically. And so everyone in Freedom School gets to come on a free retreat with me once a year in Alaska. Isn't that awesome? This year, we're on the Kenai Peninsula, staying in yurts on a river near my yurt. So I'm super stoked. Anyway, you might remember that last week I was on an eight-day silent retreat. And as the days went by and we all got deeper into our meditation practice, there was a beautiful pace to life, right? You can just imagine all these people on silent retreat. It was slower, calmer, peaceful, introspective, reflective. I think sometimes people might see images of people on retreat or doing walking meditation and they think, wow, those Buddhists, they don't look like any fun. <laughs> They're just walking around really slowly and looking so serious while they're doing it. And then they sit for hours a day doing nothing. But listen, that's not what I see, okay? I see humans finally able to quiet the inner world because of a conducive outer world that's silent and relatively still, and they are hanging out in it, right? And they're exploring their inner world, checking out levels of consciousness many of us aren't even aware of on a day-to-day -day basis, right? And when I would sit in one place and observe for a while, I also saw people like walking around and getting to like a bush and touching its leaves and then almost like petting it <laughs> with love and appreciation or stopping and gazing at a wild turkey in awe and pausing to smile at the full moon with their faces glowing in this reflected light of the moon with huge grins on their faces. And if they've been wearing like tie-dyed clothing and walking around barefoot or something, you'd, which some actually people were walking around barefoot, but you'd have assumed everyone was on psychedelics of some sort. Like somebody put something in the water. This awe and wonder with the everyday of life. But what is happening is 
things got still enough to finally be aware of the awe and wonder all around us. It's so interesting to me that we often think it's so unusual for someone to be in awe of life on a regular basis. I mean, I know when I've met some of my teachers and have seen this in them, I've thought that, you know, like, whoa, that's so unusual, right? But why isn't that our baseline, right? Like, like when did we fall off of that awareness? I remember when I lived at Vajrapani Institute, which is a Buddhist retreat center in the Santa Cruz Mountains. I think I started living there when I was 19 or something, but while, while I was in college. And I lived in what they called the gypsy wagon. It was this truck with a cabin built onto the back that was tucked away into the redwoods. And I had to drive up a slippery, muddy road in the winter and cross a stream to get to it. It was awesome. Anyway, one of my duties there, which was really an honor, was to take the visiting Tibetan llamas out around town. Like, get them into my Volvo station wagon (laughs) and take them to like the Santa Cruz beach boardwalk (laughs) or to movies. I mean, seriously, even then, I knew I was so lucky to be able to do this. And I was so scared that I would like get into a car accident or something and be known as like the Westerner that sent the great Rinpoche to the hospital or worse. But now I'm like, wow, how did that happen to me? It was quite a blessing, super mind-blowing. So anyway, I was taking Kirti Senshab Rinpoche, his attendant, Alok, which means light, and his interpreter, Dimitri, to the beach. And Rinpoche wanted to collect some seawater to bring back to India. On the way to the beach was a narrow path with these common bushes on either side. But of these common bushes, one was poison oak. And I didn't think twice about it because it was this like brief path and I just usually walked right through it. But Rinpoche was stopping and marveled at this plant with shiny green and red leaves and started to touch them and rub them. And he was smiling and he was looking at it with such wonder, this huge common bush. And this huge smile just beaming across his face. I, on the other hand, had a look of horror because this was poison oak. I was like, oh no, Rinpoche, don't touch. And I ran back to the parking lot to see if anyone had water to wash his hands, but nothing. No one had any. So we washed his hands in the ocean and his monk robes were getting soaked and he didn't mind. He thought it was hilarious. Unfortunately, he wasn't allergic, but his childlike wonder at everything he saw was refreshing. I've been reading In Love with the World by Yangye Mingyur Rinpoche, and it's awesome. It's a true story. And he's a Tibetan monk who literally snuck out of his monastery where he was a famous abbot to do a three-year wandering retreat as a yogi. Like, so he took off his Tibetan monk robes and wandered, went on, went to go on a wandering retreat. He ends up nearly dying. And as you know, dying is a sexy topic in Buddhism, right? (laughs) So Mingyur Rinpoche tells the story about how even Tibetan children 
get lectured about death and impermanence. And he talks about when he was little and he wanted a toy. His father was like, that toy will fall apart. It will die. To fasten so tightly to an object that has no lasting quality is like trying to hold air in your hands. This cannot bring you real happiness. Damn, getting real, right? Early on. (laughs) So, I mean, I think about how when the first time I had cancer, because I've had it twice, you know, I'd been meditating at that point about 11 years and was a serious Buddhist practitioner and thought I had this whole, like, I get life is impermanent thing down. But when I saw the statistic at that time that the five-year survival rate of the type of cancer I had, kidney cancer, was only 5%, like 5% of people live past five years. I freaked the fuck out. So I learned really quickly, I didn't quite have the acceptance of impermanence, or at least my impermanence, that I thought I did. There's a Tibetan saying, since death is certain and the hour of death is uncertain, what is most important? And that's really the question, right? What is most important to us? You know, on the Adventure Mastermind, we do a deathbed meditation. Actually, I'm going to walk people through it on the Freedom School Retreat this week too, because I love it. And we ask this very question during the deathbed meditation. When we deeply practice and pause asking ourselves this, you know, what is most important we often realize that the most important thing is to be in full loving awareness, loving presence, full compassionate presence. And as you've all heard me say before, the only thing that's certain is impermanence. And accepting this allows us to let go of attachment and on a deeper level, our fear of death, which actually helps us live a more full life. So as we accept impermanence, this is actually for me a type of refuge, right? A place of safety, of coming home. One of my teachers on this last retreat, her um, first language is Mandarin. And she was telling us how the word refuge didn't really resonate with her. So then she went back to Uh, In English, it didn't. And when she went back to the Mandarin translation, it was like a coming home. But not just the coming home, but after like a long journey, a long difficult journey. So as we accept impermanence, it can be a place of coming home and a source of wisdom. And it helps us see deeply the miracle of this life, of being alive of this moment. As we stay present with the ever-changing moment, we begin to identify less with what changes and more with presence itself. For example, during my meditation retreat, I had a deep sense of the difference between object and the observer and a keen awareness of my consciousness being aware and getting so curious about who is the observer right? And then I start to understand a little better how Ram Das said, you are loving awareness. 
Yeah, he was like, all you have to do is be loving awareness. It's like, wow, we are. I used to think it was just this empty, vast void that was somehow comforting. But actually, when we tap into the present and really appreciate its impermanence, its transience, and the miracle of this very moment, we can actually feel that this awareness is made of love. It's super wild. And you have to just do it. Go meditate and know this for yourself. Definitely don't just take my word for it or do, but it's a lot more enduring when you have your own felt experience of it. You know, I remember saying goodbye to my dad the last day I saw him. I thought it might be the last, but wasn't quite sure. And there was a deep sorrow in that. And I didn't want to leave, but um, he'd been dying and I'd been at his bedside for at least 10 days, maybe more. But then he started to eat and drink again and was up and like watching TV and stuff. And the nurse said it could be weeks now, now that he was eating and drinking again. So they said, you know, maybe you could go back to work for a bit. I was recently divorced, started a new job, and I was feeling pressure to go back because I just started. And they were asking me like, oh, take your time, but could you let us know when you might be returning? (laughs) So Anyway, I decided to go back just for a few days, and then I was going to come back on the weekend. And I kissed my dad on his head, and I ached inside. And there was also a tender awareness of this fleeting, eternal moment and the importance of being so present as my lips touched his skin, feeling his warmth at this goodbye. And Mingyur Rinpoche said, paying no attention to the many deaths of daily life is like confusing diamonds with pebbles and throwing them away. These transient moments, these many deaths, right? Like diamonds. When we let go of attachment to what is changing and passing, We then open ourselves to infinite possibilities in the moment. Reading his book, I also learned Tibetans have a custom of putting their teacup at the bedside and then turning it upside down before going to bed, which doesn't just mark the end of the day, but is also a reminder of the end of one's life, the inevitability of it, unpredictability of it. It's like, am I going to wake up tomorrow? In the morning, it's turned up right again. And it's not like, oh, I made it. It's like celebrated, like, fuck, yeah, I'm alive. And there are so many possibilities for this day, for this exact moment. I'm thinking of that Michael Franchi song right now, I'm Alive, makes me so happy. It's one of my fave yurt dance party songs that Maya and I rock out to. Now, Buddha said there are different kinds of miracles, like yogis who can stop the beating of their heart or walk through walls and stuff. But then he says the real miracle is the miracle of awakening, of seeing the miracle that's already here. Do we need miracles and epiphanies or psychedelic journeys for that matter to see the truth about reality? No. 
the very act of living and dropping into your body and having a felt sense of being alive in your body, an embodied sense is in itself a miracle. The miracle of being able to be present, aware of our awareness. Look, y'all, we've been given a gift, the gift of life, which in and of itself is amazing. So let's ask ourselves, what helps me to see that this is a miracle again? The miracle going on all around me. Maybe it's walking in the mountains, walking along the beach, listening to the sea, sitting in meditation, taking time for stillness. And our culture of busyness is sexy, right? (laughs) What helps your senses open to the experience of being alive? This is one of the reasons people meditate, certainly one of the reasons why I meditate, to tap into this. And this isn't necessarily easy. To get there, we often first pass through mindfulness of stress or mindfulness of anxiety and all those more challenging things. But then the reward is once again becoming aware of the wonder of life. I'll never forget as a midwife, I was usually the first person a baby saw as they entered the world outside the womb. Their little heads would pop out and they'd look at me with those beautiful angelic eyes and be like, holy shit, it's bright out here. And whoa, and just looking around, (laughs) such wonder in their eyes. Beginner's minds, everything is new and fascinating. I remember watching Maya as a newborn, and a few weeks in, she'd hold her hand out and she'd look at it in the air and be like, whoa, what is that? (laughs) She would like move around and she would just be staring at it and tripping out on it, just awe and fascination. We knew this. We know this somewhere in us, and it's accessible. I mean, look at your own hands right now. Not not if you're driving, but just take a look at them. The way you can move all the fingers separately, your skin. Reflect on all the things your hands have done for you. Feel them. Are they tingling? What's the temperature? We are in a body for however long we don't know. But we have this body. We have legs, arms, a heart that beats, thank God. We breathe without thinking about it. We have a head and eyeballs and a tongue. I mean, really, it's wild. When we really appreciate we're in a body and we're alive. A poem by David Wolf Budbill. Bugs in a bowl. Han Chan, that great and crazy, wonder-filled Chinese poet of a thousand years ago said, we're just like bugs in a bowl, all day going around, never leaving their bowl. 
I say, that's right. Every day, climbing up the steep side, sliding back over and over again, around and around, up and back down. Sit in the bottom of the bowl, head in your hands, cry, moan, feel sorry for yourself. Or look around. See your fellow bugs. Walk around. Say, hey, how you doing? Say, nice bowl. Hmm. It's not about needing an epic experience. It's about beginner's mind, the awe that comes with seeing things fresh. What we're looking for is what's already here, who we are right now in this moment. It's a lot simpler than we think. It's being present with what we've got, not lamenting what we'd like to be different. Being present with what we've got. I mean, I remember, you know, I was a climbing guide for like a decade, and that's like a decade with a lot of sleeping outside under the stars and not having electricity, (laughs) which is amazing, right? You notice stars how the light changed at night with phases of the moon, staring into the sky and appreciating the vastness of the universe. It was so epic, so beautiful. The awe and wonder that I got to feel, gosh, like just living outside for hundreds of days a year during that decade. And, you know, a lot of teachings of Buddhism were about how to live in the natural world and in the mystery of the natural world. Buddha was born under a tree, became enlightened under a tree, taught under a tree, you know, and we just drive on by trees. <laughs> Nature helps us appreciate vastness. So be sure to take some time to lie down and just gaze at the sky and the vastness of the sky. Observe how our planet is rotating in space as you watch the moon rise or the sun set. The sense of mystery. Einstein said, He who can no longer pause to wonder and stand wrapped in awe is as good as dead. His eyes are closed. Look, if meditation or retreats and things like that seem so inaccessible. It's just breathing and sensing being alive on this earth and sensing what you want to do with this precious, transient, ephemeral, extraordinary day and life that you've got. You know, I started to wonder, how could I begin living more wisely in this knowing myself. And one is to remind myself that change is the nature of things. So whenever I make a grand plan, I need to be able to let it go. You know, I think of going through birth plans with people as uh, they were planning for what would happen once they went into labor. And as a midwife, I would always say, okay, we're going to do this and we're going to be so intentional and create this. And we also have to be ready to let it go because we don't know. 
we don't know what's actually going to happen. Everything is impermanent, yeah? So maybe I can stop staring at my wrinkles and just love my smile and get on with my amazing days or my hard days. I can remind myself that if I fight with reality, I'll always lose. My meditations can take me to an amazing transcendental place, but really, we're living in a mysterious miracle that should be in and of itself without the need for psychedelics or anything, right? Fantastic. But instead, we're usually in anxiety and disappointment and craving for status, success, more something. We can remember that we are part of a larger universe, a part of it, not an insignificant piece of it, a part of it, coming back to the natural, mysterious existence of being alive. I know we're busy and can't be in this state of wonder all the time, but let's try to hold our discontent and frustration and sometimes maybe even depression at times, right? Maybe we can hold that in a container of also realizing we are alive in this body, on this planet, today, right now. And I don't know how much longer that will be true. And ask ourselves, what really matters right now? If I only had today or this moment, what would I think of my life so far? And what would I do with this precious, precious moment? Maybe tonight, as we sip a cup of tea before bed, when we're done, we can turn our empty cups upside down and rejoice in the morning when we realize we have yet another day to turn it over and see what adventures and daily miracles will come our way. Hey, if you've really been wanting to do a silent retreat, but you're like, that shit sounds crazy. There's no way I could do that for eight days. Listen, I have a retreat just for you. It's coming up in March. It's going to be sea kayaking in Baja, Mexico. That's right. We'll be sea kayaking. I tell you, it's a lot easier to not talk when you are in awe of the nature around you and you have some tasky tasks like packing up your tent or your kayak and things like that, right? Um, You don't have to be an expert kayaker or anything, but keep it on your schedule, right? It's going to be the week of March 26th. Block that out. Come with me. We're going to have silence for um, most of the day, but we'll have a chunk of the day with coaching and teaching and discussion. So it'll be a good experiment for you and a good transition. All right. So come to Baja with me in March. If you like what you heard, please spread the love and share it. And if you know you need some help with this and want to learn more about how to free your mind and free your life, Go to rebelbuddhist.com and grab my free Rebel Buddhist Toolkit, where you'll receive a video training on cultivating resilience, 
access to the private Rebel Buddhist group where I do weekly live sessions on topics just like this and a copy of the gorgeous Rebel Buddhist Manifesto and more for free. That's rebelbuddhist.com.